Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Hey, everybody. <coughs> Whoa, excuse me. <coughs> hey, everybody. This is Stefan Gonick. This is our live monthly laser Q&A call. And uh, as usual, I have people on with me live. And I also have questions that were emailed to me in advance. And so I'm going to go ahead and start with the email in advance ones. These people live usually are not ready to start right away. Um, and then we'll see what people want to do. Alrighty. So the first question I have is the following. In the past, I used to be unconsciously attracted to unavailable men. But after I learned that, learned that they are married or in a relationship, I would lose interest. Now when I see someone interesting, the first thing I think about is, is he married? I cannot smile um, at the person if I think, what if he's married? The idea of flirting with someone who might be married makes me behave uncomfortably. What can you suggest on this? Uh, suggest to me on this. If the person I find interesting is married, I can easily lose my interest. But does this mean I have a negative pattern of attraction to unavailable men? All right, so there's a couple things here. So if you've been working with the program, you know, there's three different sessions on uh, unavailable parents. So that's you know, it's good because it's the most common issue that people struggle with. Um, if you really work those a lot, you do all three of those sessions and you do them at least twice each, or actually focus on the one that you seem to have the most reaction to. Even though they're all three on the same topic, sometimes we just relate more to one than the other. So whichever one you have the most reaction to, you know, repeat that one the most. <clears throat> do them all for sure. And just keep doing it until you feel done. Um, now ideally, you uh, had what I call a reference person where this is somebody you know, in your life or from your past <clears throat> who you know was unavailable and fits your pattern that you had a strong attraction to. And then what you want to do is after each time, you, every couple of healing sessions, you want to check in on your attraction to that person. And assuming it started at a high number, like uh, 8, 9, or 10, you know, you, you should see it come down lower and lower and lower and lower until eventually it gets all the way to zero and you're no longer attracted to that person. And you might even have a little aversion to that person. If you have that experience, <clears throat> what that means is that you've done it. You've broken free of the negative attraction pattern, in which case you don't have to be worried about being attracted to those kind of people anymore. So I don't know if you did have uh, a reference person that you can use to measure <clears throat> you know, how much negative attraction, how, how much of your ne negative attraction pattern is still present. Um, if you didn't have that, then it's trickier because you know, you're not measuring anything. Uh, then it's more a matter of, you know, is there any emotional charge if you do those three sessions. You know, you want to go do each of them, to, you want to keep repeating them until you have just nothing comes up, no more emotional pain comes up for all three of them. And then you can use that as a sign that you've probably broken free of your negative attraction pattern. Um, 
Otherwise, you have to just look at what's happening in your love life. So if you find somebody really attractive and then you talk to him and you find out afterwards that he's married, um, then, and that happens consistently, I mean, sometimes you just don't know, but if it happens consistently, it's like, oh, I'm really attracted to this guy and I talk to him and they find out, oh, he's married. And then it happens again a second time and then, uh-oh, a third time. That would be a strong sign that you have not yet broken out of that negative attraction pattern. So you want to work some more on that. Once you have broken out of your negative attraction pattern, um, then so now uh, if you've if you uh, if so we have three different ways of finding out whether or not you still have the negative attraction pattern, right? Either you've you're no longer attracted to your reference person or you have zero charge in the three different sessions around um, you know, the, the unavailable parent sessions. And if you, you know, talk to, to various guys that you're attracted to and you find out, no, they're not married, they're not in a relationship, you know, then you can be confident that you've broken out of that negative attraction pattern, and, in which case you don't have to worry about it. So at that point, what you want to do is trust that it's not going to be an issue, or at least it's going to be rare and just assume that they are available. See, the pattern is either still there or it's not. <clears throat> you know, it's, I mean, it can come down, but ultimately, if you heal it, it'll be gone, and then it's not going to be a factor in your love life anymore. And so in that case, you can flirt with any guy that you think is attractive to you and not have to worry about whether or not he's unavailable, and so you don't have to be, you know, uncomfortable and self-conscious and and worried and stuff like that. So, all right, I hope that was helpful. Um, now, for the people who are live, oh, I mean, somebody's chatting, asking me a question. Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Never know for sure if people can hear me, so I just want to check on chat, make sure that. You guys are hearing me. So, and, um, well, all right, so those people who are online, if you can somehow indicate to me whether or not you can hear me, that would be great. Actually, let me just ask this one person who can talk. Hey there, I unmuted you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Ah, great. All right. One person in the chat, like I said, asked if I was here, so just want to make sure. Actually, as long as I have you, do you have a question? Um, no, not at the moment. I just logged on real quick. I okay, no problem. All right, so I'll go ahead and mute you again, and I'll see if anybody else has a question. There you go. All right, so um, for those of you who are online, if you have a question, you can either raise your hand if you're able to talk to me directly, or you can type in the chat box, and uh, I'll just read your question out loud and then answer it that way. But if nobody has any questions, I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next um, email question. I only have two email questions today. So after I answer this one, um, it'll be up to you guys to have questions, or I'll just end early. Okay, so this person wrote, this is a woman, 
And she wrote, I've come around the concept of heart wall, and my question for this month is how can we work on it with EFT? Now, first of all, I haven't read this whole question in advance, and I don't actually know what heart wall is. So I'll do the best I can answering it without knowing what that concept is. All right, so she continues to say, I'm still having, <coughs> excuse me, I'm still having difficulties in making close friends and reading about the heart wall concept makes sense, uh, somehow sense. I have lots of acquaintances, but no close friends. I always feel that when I meet someone, I'm hitting a wall, mine or theirs, question mark. I'm taking action. I, in, I invite them for coffee, a drink, a walk, several times. On a regular basis, they accept. We seem to have fun. But they never call or invite me anywhere or ask how I am. I feel that it's not worth, to, worth it to put energy in and call them over and over again. It is not that their style paces to call rarer than I do. The problem is they never call or reconnect with me after that. I have a person, for example, with, <clears throat> with whom I resonate a lot. We meet once in a while for we have met once in a while for years, but if I never call her, she never wants to see me. Instead of making an invitation to force getting an answer, when I call her, I usually say something like, Okay, I would love to see you. If you want to meet, let me know. And I never hear back from her for another year. I recall that this is how I ended up, ended up so many so-called friendships. They responded positively to my invitations. We seemed to have fun while we met. But if I didn't call or make an invitation, they never called, not even once a year, not even to say Merry Christmas. I have the feeling that this is happening over and over again in my life. People around me seem to have fun. They meet between them but nobody ever calls or invites me somewhere. And the worst is that because of this silence from their side, if I need help, I'm never comfortable to call them because I am the only one who always calls. After a year's silence, you don't feel comfortable to call again and ask also for help. <clears throat> if I have a health emergency, I don't even know who to call. So what is your opinion on all this? All right, so I don't know, yeah, I'm not sure exactly heart wall, that part but I can certainly respond to the rest of it. So it does, so first of all, um, I have friends who we really enjoy getting together, but they don't call me, I call, I have to, they call, I call them. Uh, when I call them, they do respond and we do get together, but for whatever reason, it's a, a one-way invitation stuff. So I don't know why that is, <laughs> but I have some friends like that. But they're very happy to hear from me when I call. I'm like, oh, hey, Stephen, great to hear from you. you know? Yeah, love to get together. So uh, I'm not sure why. Um, uh, and then, <clears throat> and I, you know, I do have other people who do contact me. So part of it is that some people, it's just the way it is. But it sounds like you're having such a consistent experience with that that it's more likely that uh, there's something going on in these, in these relationships. Uh, it seems to me that in some way these friendships are not deepening. But sometimes what happens is, uh, you know, you, I, I, I happen to, you know, we work together so I happen to know your situation in more detail than, than usual. So, you know, I know that you don't have very many friendships and, and you don't have any close ones. Sometimes if people already have a fair number of friends, you know, like, like for me, if, if I make a new friend, 
uh, whereas, and I already have a bunch of friends, I'm going to be less likely to initiate stuff with that new friend unless it's like a really exciting new friendship or something. Though I'll be open to getting together if they initiate. And so what, what may be necessary is I would try this. Pick somebody that you like the most. It doesn't matter if you know you have very up until now you've had very infrequent calls. But pick somebody that you like the most, that you feel the most comfortable with, and start calling them more regularly. And when you end up talking to them, really try to find out about their life. Right? Really um, ask them questions about it. And when you ask a question and they answer, like pursue it further, get go more into it. Like you're really trying to get get to know them better and to understand what's going on in their life. And you know, you can share stuff too. It may be an issue of building up growing enough of a connection with them that you become a more primary friend than you currently are. That takes time and energy. You know, when you can see each other in person, and we're not living in a pandemic, the way you usually do that is by just getting together regularly in person, right? So you do stuff together. You meet for a meal. You see a movie. You go to the park. You know, whatever it is, um, you build your friendships through contact, through sharing experiences together, stuff like that. It's trickier now because, you know, it's harder to get together. I mean, you can still walk with a friend, you know, with a mask and, you know, three meters apart or whatever. Um, but I would encourage you to put energy into trying to build at least one of these friendships. And then see if that develops enough so that it becomes more mutual. So that, that's what I would suggest, practically speaking. Um, and then more deeply would be the question of whether or not there's a part of you that feels like you don't deserve uh, closeness. You don't deserve <clears throat> to have a friend who uh, really wants to be with you and likes you a lot. Because if you have a belief like that, you could be unconsciously sabotaging your friendships without realizing it. <clears throat> Um, and so that could be the other explanation for what's going on. You know, if we expect, if we kind of have this subconscious belief that, you know, nobody's really going to want to be my friend, be a good friend with me, or nobody's really going to want to be interested in being with me, then we can say things in a way that kind of makes that happen. So I would look in within yourself and see if you have any negative beliefs like that, that you're not deserving of it, not worthy of it, or you expect a lack of response, things like that. And then, um, you know, address that in the, in, you know, using the program. You know, look for the situations that you had growing up that would make you feel that way. And then address those kinds of experiences, you know, using the, the program. All right, so that's my answer for that. And that was my last email question, so it's up to you guys. Um, if you are on live with me, you know, either raise your hand to let me know you want to talk, if you can talk directly, or you can type in the chat box. And uh, I would love to answer your questions. So while I'm waiting to see if anybody has a question, um, there's something that I would just like to share as, a, as an important piece of information. 
Um, there is something that I'm not sure how clear this is in the, in the program. I'm going to have to review it and make sure it's clear enough and maybe redo it if it's not. So I just figured I would share it with you guys since uh, the call hasn't been very long yet. And that is the healing process in each of the sessions. They, they follow a certain model or process. It's a three-part process. And I'd like to just describe it so you understand it better. And if you understand it better, uh, it will help you um, understand how to work with the program better, really. So when we're going to be working on a memory, trying to heal that memory, there's three parts to the process. The first part, and you've all been doing it, but you may not have been fully understanding what it is you're doing. So the first part is, you know, we work with our inner child, and we find out what she or he is feeling in this memory, and we do tapping on those feelings to help release those painful feelings. So, you know, inner child might be feeling, you know, scared or hurt and rejected. Um, might be feeling shame, feelings like there's something wrong with me, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, things like that. And we're going to tap on all those feelings to try and release them. After we've done that for a while, we then move into the second part. The second part is what I call the empowerment part. The empowerment part is where we do that anger work where we stand up for ourselves. Because when we get treated in a negative way, <clears throat> a negative way over and over again, no matter how much we hate being treated that way, um, we eventually we become, subconsciously, we come to believe that we deserve to be treated that in that negative way. In this very disempowered experience where you feel powerless. And that makes us overly tolerant to being treated that way as an adult, uh, which is not good. It's one of the bases of our negative attraction pattern. It feels normal to be treated in this negative way to us. So the empowerment piece in the middle is about helping our inner child stand up for him or herself with the basic message like, no, it's not okay to treat me this way. And we want to do that strong enough, loud enough and strong enough, or at least intense enough. Like if you're in a place where you can't get loud, loud, you could just get intense. Like instead of yelling, it's not okay to you know, treat me like that, you can go, that's not okay to treat me like that. So like whisper yelling, you know. You want to get, the more intense you can get there in the second part, the more effective it is. So you want to get as strong and as intense as you can, this empowerment part. And then the third part is where we try and help our inner child get what she or he was needing in that original experience. Some kind of love that was missing, right? And we get that partially just by asking our inner child what she or he wants. You know, what, what are you wanting right now? And then we give that to our inner child. Now, there's three different ways we can do, give it to our inner child. One is, which I talk about in the program the most, is have our adult self give it to our inner child. So that's one way to do it. There's two other ways, which I don't talk about so much, but they're both very good. The second way, I'm actually going in order of least good to best. So the second best way to do it is to imagine an ideal parent, let's say you're working on something with your father, an ideal father who would, would now be loving to your inner child in the way you always wished your real father was, but Unfortunately, he wasn't. So you just imagine this ideal father giving to your inner child what she or he is needing. 
Okay, so that's the second best way. The best way, the, the, hard, the best but hardest way, is to imagine that somehow your inner child, I mean, sorry, your, your parent that you're working on, say your dad, uh, got healed, right? Maybe they went into therapy for five years or, you know, did EFT therapy for a few months or whatever it is. And they were truly got healed and, is now, and they're now able to be loving to your inner child. If you can imagine that one, that's actually the most powerful one of all. If you can do that, that would be great. But in any case, that's the three-part process. Relieve the painful feelings, help your inner child stand up for him or herself in the empowerment piece in the middle, and then the third part is helping your inner child get what she or he is needing in that original experience. All right, I just wanted to share that with you guys. So for those of you who are on live with me, uh, if you have a question, raise your hand. As I said earlier, um, a new person just joined us here. Then I'm done with the email questions. So it's up to just you people on live on the call. Um, otherwise, we're going to end the call early. So you know, there's a button to raise your hand to let me know you want to you have a question. So feel free to do that, and I'll be happy to talk to you. All right, we got somebody. Okay, Hi, you're unmuted. Hi. Um, I, I only just got on the call because I was having technical trouble, so I'm not sure what you said before. Um, okay. But I, I've got a question uh, that, that I, uh, on an issue that I heard you recently speak about, uh, which was this technique of um, finding a feeling uh, that you're experiencing now, a problematic feeling, and allowing a memory to come where, uh, where in the past you've had a similar feeling in your body to locate a kind of early childhood trauma. Sure, yeah. For, those, for the rest of you that know, that's, um, I recently posted that video to YouTube. So if you go to my YouTube channel, it's a special method for, you know, if you have something that bothers you in the present, but you don't know the source, you don't know what happened to you as a child that caused your current issue, I, I have a video about how to do that, how to use your ex current experience of the problem to get in touch with these, you know, young root cause memories. So that's, that's what's being referred to here. Okay, go for it. Uh, so, so in my like present day, I've got this like very strong feeling of unfairness of being hard done by by the world, um, uh -huh. and it kind of provokes strong reactions in me. I tried this uh, method of uh, where in my past I felt this, and I can get back to when I was a teenager, maybe, but not any earlier. Um, and I'm talking like late teenage years. Um, I can't really okay. find anything like when I was like under ten or under seven. Would you be willing to share an example? Um, of the unfairness uh, uh, in my yeah, early years. That's a, teen, a teenage, well, the youngest you can remember, and I may be able to say something depending on the example. Yeah, it was like uh, when I was learning to drive, when I must have been about 17, 18, I was driving, <laughs> driving with my dad, and he started screaming at me one time for getting stuff wrong. And uh, I felt like, this is terrible. It's not my fault. I was just doing what he told me to, and he was being completely unreasonable. Um, so that's like yeah. a really strong yeah. memory I've got, but I just can't think of anything from childhood. Well, do you, ever, do, you, do you suspect that he did that kind of thing when you were younger as well? 
Well, if you did it then, then most likely, yeah. Yeah, so when a parent treats us a certain way, if it's, you know, this is true for most of us. It's, it's much easier to remember our teenage years than our early childhood years. And when I'm working one-on-one -on -one with a client, if they say that to me, I'll say, well, what's the youngest memory you have you know, with being treated this way? And they'll tell me. And then I'll say the same thing um, to them that I just said to you. I said, do you imagine that your, say, dad treated you that way when you were much younger as well, even if you can't remember a specific example of it? And usually the answer is yes. So what I'll say is, all right, here's how we'll, do, how we'll work with this. So what, what you're kind of remembering, so, so there's this, so the example, like in your case, you know, he's teaching you something and, uh, you know, you're new to it. And instead of being patient, because obviously when we're learning something new, we're going to make lots of mistakes, right? Otherwise, we would need to learn. <laughs> we already know how to do it. Um, but some parents are very impatient and, they'll, and critical and they'll, be, and they'll yell. So we can kind of generalize from this specific example that, okay, you know, when I was trying to do something that my father was showing me, if I didn't do it right, he would get, you know, really critical and angry at me. So we can call that the scenario, right? It's not a specific memory, it's a scenario. And so, but then what you can do, but, but the scenario has a lot of, teeth to it, right? Because we can remember the tone of voice and the facial expressions and the kinds of things he would say from the older memory, right? So what you do is you take that, his energy, his facial expression, the critical energy, the anger, the yelling, the kinds of things he would say, and then just pretend that you are young, five years old, six years old, seven years old, something like that. And then work with that as if it was a specific memory, even though it's a scenario rather than a memory. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good, good. That's really good. I'm, yeah. Why didn't I think of that? Yeah. Okay. Most EFT practitioners don't think of that. So this is something that I figured out myself. So it's, don't don't <laughs> don't worry about the fact that you didn't think of it. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll definitely try that. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So you're very, very welcome. Um, do you have any other questions while I have you? Um, I don't want to hog your time, but I'm sure I could think of some. Yeah, feel free to hog your time. Now, if anybody else is on the call, I mean, hog my time. Anybody else on the call, if you have a question, just raise your hand and I'll know that you have a question, and then I'll call on you right after I answer whatever the next question is. But you, know, you don't have to wait until I'm done talking to raise your hand. Just feel free to raise your hand immediately, and I'll see you have a question pending, and I'll, and I'll come to you as soon as possible. Okay, so I don't see any raised hands, so go ahead. What's your next question? Um, well, I'm looking for another job at the moment, and I'm having these like huge uh, uh, fears, anxiety about whether I'll be able to find anything and about whether I'll be able to cope. Um, well, it's a job situation, but it's the same thing comes up with relationships. You know, am I gonna? Am I good enough? Am, am I gonna? Yes. Yeah. The feeling of not being good enough <clears throat> is a, what we call a core wound, a core wound, and it tends to affect us all over the place, which is why when I work with clients on their love life, um, they often tell me that things, you know, as we're healing various things, that they'll start telling me before we're done, you know, with the love life part of it, you know, we usually like this list of things we have to address, but before we finish getting working our way through the whole list, 
they'll say, you know, I didn't come to you for help with my career, but you know, things <laughs> have got a lot better in my my career, my business, my job, or whatever it is. Because yes, it's the same core wounds affect all parts of my life. So the thing for you to do um, is to look for the experiences that made you feel like you weren't good enough. And the one you're describing is a good candidate. Right? Being yelled at for not doing something right uh, is a very good source of, I'm mean, not good as in good, but you know, a very uh, obvious, strong source of feeling like I'm not good enough. So you know, things to look for to, as sources of not being good enough, and you can use that method that you got from the video to do it that way. But if you want to use more just general detective work, a good way, you know, good sources of, of not being good enough is a critical parent like your dad, um, an angry parent like your dad. So a parent being critical even without anger will make us feel not good enough. A parent being angry at us will make us feel like we're not okay and not good enough. Put the two together, it's a very powerful combination. And an uh, unavailable parent will also cause that feeling like we're not good enough. So those would be the places to look to see the source of this. And when you heal it, it's going to help you both job-wise and in your love life. So, yeah. That that help? Hello? You still there? Um, you're still there. I can't hear you. Hello? Hello, hello. Well, we seem to be having technical difficulties with the guy I was just talking to. So we're, while we're waiting for him to come back on, uh, if there's anybody else who has a question, feel free to raise your hand. Um, or this will be a, this a little shorter call. And let's see. Yes. Hi. Um. So I guess my problem is I, I get friend zoned a lot or girls I like don't like me back or vice versa. And right. I went through the program and I'm trying to pinpoint the parent part of it and I'm having a hard time pinpointing it because they, yeah. they're both, they're, they were both always around. They still are. Um, the, the only thing I can think of is the, some things are a little critical not angry or anything, just, uh, you know, why did it's you do critical. that? You should have done it this way. Or... Right. I, I would definitely work on the critical energy. See, friend zoning, you know, if you look at what's the source of being friend zoned? The source of being friend zoned usually comes from, uh, I, I even have videos about this. I made two. I didn't like the first one, so I made a second one. I just left them both up. Um, but anyway, friend zoning usually comes from us being overly solicitous to the woman, usually coming from a place of insecurity. Actually, I say woman. It could be either gender, right? Whatever, whatever your gender of interest is. So being friend-zoned comes usually from a place of insecurity, not feeling worthy or good enough for that person. So you, know, you get up your courage to make contact and you talk to them, but you, talk to, talk, you connect with them from a bit of a one-down position. And that causes the person to view you as a friend. Like, yeah, you're really nice. I like you. You're a good person. But I don't feel the chemistry. I don't feel the zing. You know, stuff like that. So um, 
you want to look for places that made you feel, you know, unworthy, not good enough, whatever way exactly you experience it. And critical parents can definitely do it because if you think about it, there's never a reason to be critical. There's lots of times that parents have to correct what their child is doing, but you can make the correction without critical energy behind it. Right? The correction can be made kindly. It can be made matter-of-factly. Um, but it doesn't have to be critical. And a, a parent will, you know, you can, you can even say the exact same words, but, but one way, you know, one version, you're saying those words without any critical energy, or you can say the exact same thing words with critical energy. And, and so with critical energy feels critical, and we feel bad about ourselves. Critical energy leads to us feeling bad about ourselves in some way. And so if you grew up with that, even if it wasn't angry critical energy, you would, it would be really good to heal it. Because like I say, you can, every correction and everything else can be done without critical energy. It doesn't have to be critical. So like, any, like so the example that you just gave, can you, uh, can you give a specific example? Um, you said, why, why, do you have, what was, why do you have to do that? Do something like that? Yeah, like say you were cooking something on the stove. Oh, why, why did you use uh -huh. that pot? Why didn't you use this pot? Well, because I picked this one. Or right. Why, why, are you, why are you eating that? We have this in the fridge. Because I picked this. <laughs> right, but you notice that that is what is known as an accusatory question. Right? It's not a true question. It's, it's a criticism disguised as a question, right? Right. If they didn't like the pot you picked for some reason, they, would just, they could just simply say, hey, in the future, could you please use this pot instead? And then hopefully give a reason for it. <laughs> because da, da, da. no critical energy needed. Or if they're truly curious, they go, huh, well, why'd you use that pot instead of this one? Again, no critical energy. Notice, exact same words, different energy. Because, you know, I'm just curious. It's like, huh, I would have thought this pot would make more sense. I'm just curious why you use that one. And you say, oh, I use this one for whatever reason. Or you might even just say, I don't know. <laughs> just did it. Right. But the, the point is, is that there's no critical energy behind the question the way I said it. Um, right. So there's just certain people who just have critical energy. So they tend to approach things from a place of critical energy. And any one time of it is not that big a deal. But when it happens hundreds of times, it accumulates. And uh, it makes you feel bad about yourself. It makes you feel... Like, not good enough, something wrong with you, not worthy, things like that. So it sounds like uh, that, that parent, do they both do that, or just one of them? Um, but both, but more my mom, I think. Because she'll even do it to my dad, and he'll just be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> right. Nobody likes it, right? Yep. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, do, you know, focus mostly on your mom, but do some on your dad. And uh, really heal that. And I think you'll start seeing a change in your dating experiences. So like I say, it's, the times you're not friend-zoned, friend I bet, is if you're talking to a woman that you're not that interested in. Yep, every time. Right, I, because you're I'm confident with her. Stop talking to me, and that makes them want to talk to you. <laughs> it's not, it's, you might think it's that, but what it really is is that you're confident. Right. Okay. I, I experienced that exact same thing for years and years. You know, a woman that I was only semi-interested or not that interested in, not, ex not excited about, certainly. 
I felt very comfortable with her because, you know, the stakes weren't didn't feel very high, so it's like I was myself. And they would often be interested in me, and then I would decide whether or not I wanted to respond. And it's like, nah, nah, nah. and then there'd be some woman who's like, oh, wow, she's fascinating. I really would love to talk to her. And I was just, initially, I was just too scared to even do it. And then eventually, I, I got brave enough to talk, but then I would get friend zoned, like you said. It's like, ah, so frustrating. Yep. Yep. But it, all, it, all, it was all about confidence. When I, work, when I do, healed things enough that I was confident talking to one of these exciting women, I didn't get friends on. And I'm married to one of them. <laughs> the last one. So, um, yeah. You just, have to, you just have to develop your confidence more. And we do that by healing these, all this you know, endless stream of critical experiences you had. And you don't have to heal them all. You know, heal five or something. You know, I think you. But in that middle piece, the, that empowerment piece, put a lot of energy into that. That's going to help a lot. You know, since I'm not, since this is a recorded thing, and I'm not on the call with people. You know, in the when I was live originally, I would urge the person to get louder and stronger. But I'm not on the call with you, and so you can hear me do it with the person on the call. But or you can, you can also just urge yourself. Every time you do it, try and make it bigger and stronger, louder and stronger, more intense. So you feel like really strong about it. And that really will help a lot to break out of um, the original you know, dynamic of, see, we get defeated when we're treated critically or whatever the negative trait is. You know, we get defeated, we feel like we deserve to be treated that way, we feel bad about ourselves. And one of the biggest things we can do to break out of it is that standing up for our self-anger thing. It's su super effective. So. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. As long as, long as I have you on the call, do you have another question? Um, Who's the other person? I don't know if he can talk anymore. Can't think of anything. Okay. Oh, actually, I have a hand raised. So, okay, I'll go ahead and take that. So, I'll, I'll mute you again. And. All right, you're back. Are you back? So I've got a kind of question on the technique um, in terms of the last stage of the way you do EFT about re redoing, reimagining uh, the the past or giving to the younger self what what he wanted at the time. Yes. Uh, now, when I do this, I, I'm often wondering whether I'm going too far because if I'm working on something on anger. Uh, when I was bullied as a child, for instance, and then my younger self wants revenge. It wants to like take a baseball bat to these people's heads, for example. Yeah, uh, and I'm just wondering right. if that's bad karma. Um, and there's and oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, well, so here's I, the I, thing. Well, let me let me respond to that one. And if you have another scenario, I'll be happy to respond to that too. Because that's a particular kind of scenario, and I'm really glad you mentioned it because um, it doesn't come up that often. I mean, it's not that it doesn't come off in people's work, but it doesn't come off in, in these Q&A calls. So I'm glad you brought it up. Um, in a case like that, there's a kind of surface reaction, a surface need, and a deeper need. So him wanting, your young self wanting to beat these bullies up is more of a surface need. And then there's a deeper need underneath that. So what you want to do is both. So if he, if he wants to beat him up, you know, we're not doing this in real life. You're just imagining it. And that's great. Let him get his aggression out by going around and beating them all with a bat. 
once he's done that, say, okay, that was great. Now what do you want? And once once you've you know accommodated the more surface need, what I would call a reactive need, which is fine. Like you honor, you honor it. You, whatever the person, you know, whatever our inner child's need is, honor it. But assume, but the deeper need is going to be a need for love in some way. Okay, so go with the surface need and then ask for the deeper need. Yeah, that's that's, that's that great. great. Uh, that was great. Yeah, my, my only concern is, like, I mean, I don't want to, like, allow my younger self to have these violent fantasies, you know. I'm just wondering if it's bad. Uh, it could be bad for me. It's not bad for you. It's the opposite. Because if you allow... See, these, this anger is in you. One of the things that people get confused by... Actually, this is a great topic. People confuse um, the... Uh, the actions we use to release an emotion with the emotion itself. Let's talk about crying because it's a little bit simpler. Or sadness and crying. A lot of people think crying is the sadness. Um, and sometimes you'll see well-intentioned parents, you know, they'll have a little kid who's, say, five years old, who's crying, and they'll go, oh, my child is really sad. I, I don't want him to be sad, so I'm going to try and get him to stop crying by going, oh, look at the pretty birdie over there. Isn't that bird pretty? Look at the colors. Isn't that one? You know, so they're trying to distract the kid away from crying, thinking that if they can get the kid to stop crying in a nice way, not a mean way like some parents do, but, you know, but a nice way, then they won't be sad anymore. But, that, but the opposite is the case. Crying is what we do to release our sadness. If you think of our emotions as like a tank of water, so something happens, we have our re emotional reaction to it, you can think of that as like a tank of water. And when we do whatever the behavior it is that expresses that emotion, in the case of sadness, it'd be crying, it's like opening up the spigot and the water's starting to drain out. So if you get the kid to stop crying, what you did was just close the spigot, which means the sadness stays in the kid. It doesn't go anywhere. Now with anger, the you know, the behavior that expresses and releases the anger is, you know, yelling and physical acts, right? Yelling, hitting, things like that. So that's why in that middle empowerment piece, I encourage people to really get loud, right? I'll say, you know, louder and stronger, louder and stronger. And my goal is that they, ideally, they would yell it at the top of their lungs as angrily and strong, with as much strength as possible. Because that does two things. It helps them feel stronger, but also gets the anger out. You know, the louder and stronger you get, the more you're releasing the anger. It's like crying harder versus crying just a little bit, right? So you have your anger at those bullies in you. It's been in you ever since they did that to you. So what you want to do is get it out, right? We don't want to just have all this anger sitting inside of us. There's one theory of aging is that it's accumulation of unreleased emotions. So we want to get it all out. And one way to get it out is to yell and scream. Another way to get it out is with violent fantasies. Like, yeah, I'm not going to take a baseball bat and <coughs> smash their head in. <coughs> you, know, you know, like, you're getting the anger out. You know, it's, you're not doing this in real life. You're doing this in fantasy. So it's not like you're going to go around and grab a bat and hit anybody. In fact, by doing this in fantasy, you're releasing you know, a lot of your stored-up anger. You're draining the anger water out of the tank, which means you'll be less, less likely to express 
to blow up in anger at a person currently in your life. Does that make sense? It does, yeah, it does. Um, uh, the, the other scenario that I mentioned is uh, a similar stage, if I can mention this. Um, it's like sure. I, was work I was working on uh, a disappointment in love when I was uh, like fairly young, a young teenager. Um, and when it comes to this redoing the past, I, I'm a bit reluctant to visualize the girl who wasn't interested in me, but in my visualization to, to visualize her as actually like being into me and so on, because it's, because it's a real person. Right. Oh, and you mean, like when you ask your young self what he wants, what he was needing, and he says, well, I need her to be interested in me. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Um... You could fantasize that she was interested in you. The other thing that you could do is that what what does see what what make what when somebody doesn't return your interest, right? So you're interested in somebody, they don't return the interest. There's two kinds of things that happens there. One is the natural one, which is I'm disappointed, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm interested in this person. I was really hoping this person would return my interest. And she or he doesn't, and I feel disappointed. So that's the natural reaction. The more complex reaction is that I feel rejected and bad about myself. Now, I'm feeling rejected and bad about myself, not really because that person didn't return my interest, but because I was already feeling bad about myself because of things that happened to me as a child, and the person not returning my interest confirmed that I was bad. You see what I mean? Yeah. So what we want to heal is the feeling that there's something bad about me, that I, there's something wrong with me, that I just got rejected because I wasn't good enough, I wasn't this enough, I wasn't that, whatever it is. Um, when that's not really what happened, right? What really happened is they just, for whatever reason, didn't, feel like it was a match. So we want to tune into those feelings of, like, I feel rejected, and in this place of feeling rejected, what's getting triggered for me is this much deeper wound of something wrong with me, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, these kind of things. And then go to, and then address that. Because it's got to be okay if somebody doesn't return our interest, right? Yeah, so if, if, would you recommend that I don't visualize, for example, getting together with this girl when I was in you know, 13, 14 then? You can try it both ways. I would do it both ways. Um, but the ultimate healing is the deeper thing I was talking about. So it's not just, you know, he, I'm sure he felt you know, hurt and rejected as well as disappointed. And it was tough. But it didn't start there. It started much younger. And it is good to tap on and release the pain of what happened. Um, this is one case where the three-part process may not be necessary. And if you just tap on the pain of it um, and release that, then you'll feel less gun-shy of it happening again. And then if you address what's going on, what was going on underneath that, feeling like there's something wrong with me or not good enough or something like that, that's going to that's gonna really take you far. Uh -huh. 
right? Okay. Then, then you will feel good. I mean, think about it this way. If you felt totally good about yourself, like, yeah, I'm a good guy. I feel really good about who I am. I feel confident. I feel strong. And, wow, there's an interesting woman. Let me talk to her. And she doesn't return my interest. I'll go, okay. <laughs> right? Oh, well. Yeah, it's disappointing. But that's, but that's the only reaction is disappointing. Thing is, I won't, I won't, it won't make me feel bad about myself. Right? She was so attractive, I thought, so incredibly attractive, and everybody else thought so too. That um, I, sure. I can't quite visualize it being possible to be just about cool about being rejected. You know? So it's, it's about, so like I say, disappointment is totally natural, um, even feeling sad, but feeling rejected and then feeling like this confirms that I'm a piece of shit, right? That kind of thing. That's the thing you want to heal. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, okay. it's going to, uh, right? Otherwise, you can be afraid to approach somebody that seems really exciting. Right? It comes from a lack of worthy, feeling worthy within ourselves. Um, have you ever had a girlfriend that was super good looking? And of course, your whole life. What? Have I? Yeah, have you? Uh, not really, no. Okay. Um, I have a few times. One of the things I noticed was that once we got together, um, and I got to know them more thoroughly, I was no longer so struck by their looks. I, mean, I still found her good looking, but I wasn't like, oh, wow, she's amazing. It wasn't that kind of feeling anymore. Because I kind of knew the whole person. I was used to her looks. <laughs> you know what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't that as special anymore in a sense. It was a little sad in a way, but it was also a lot more real. You know what I mean? One of the things, one of the things that really good looking women struggle with is they get so much attention for their looks that they get very insecure about who they are as a person. Like, you know, are any of these men who are showing all this intense interest in me, interest in me, are they interested in me or are they interested in my surface appearance? So one of the things I've also noticed is that some of the best looking women are also some of the most insecure. Like one of the prettiest girlfriends I ever had was the most insecure girlfriend I ever had. And it didn't last very long because that became a, you know, a problem for me. But, Wow, is she pretty? <laughs> you know? So um, I think the only women, you know, only really good-looking women that escape that are the ones who became good-looking later in life, right? Like some of them look kind of goofy-looking when they're young, and it's not until a full adulthood that they kind of come into their beauty. And uh, those women are, have like the best of all worlds, I think, because you know, they develop themselves as a person. See, women that are like super, you know, girls that are super pretty. It's hard, it's hard to resist capitalizing on that because you, you get so much attention for it, right? And they can capitalize on it to the neglect of the rest of themselves. <clears throat> and they get in this challenging situa situation where they don't feel very well developed as a person and they feel insecure that guys only like them for their looks and da da da, da. But this is, a, I guess I'm getting a little off track here. <laughs> I have to have a lot of experience with it. Anyway, the thing that's going to help the most is to address the things that make you feel not good enough for some kind of really attractive person.
Um, but it is good to release the pain of that experience. But I'm just saying you wouldn't necessarily imagine that she did become interested in you. I, to me, the goal is that it's okay that she wasn't. I don't, you know, you don't have to match with everybody you're interested in. Did you get my fearless dating product? Uh, no, no. I, yeah, I would encourage, I would encourage you to get that one because it will help with this very thing we're talking about. So what helps the most is the deep healing. But uh, it's hard to totally escape the fear of rejection no matter how much healing you've done. And that's why I created this other little product to just directly address the fear of rejection. Because when I addressed it within myself successfully, um, I, I was so much more comfortable dating, you know, and talking to people and stuff like that. Because I stopped feeling rejected if the woman didn't return my interest. So that was really cool. Uh, yeah, that's great. I'll, tr I'll try. Can you hear me still? Yeah, I see you. Hey. So, and just to recap, so that's great advice. And I think I'll try both ways. So A, both like being angry and, being, and allowing the kid, to, the young child to be like, you know, take a baby or whatever. Like uh, uh -huh. finding, trying to the deeper healing, feeling what caused that uh, even at a younger age. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I would recommend, definitely. All right, good. Well, I'm glad that was helpful. Thanks very much, Stefan. Yeah, you're very welcome. All right, cool. All right, so actually, I think we're going to call it with that. Um, I'm really glad that this call ended up filling up the whole uh, hour pretty much here. So uh, this was it for this month. So next month, I look forward to answering more questions. Please feel free to email them to me in advance, as well as talk to me online, because that way I can read the questions, start to answer it. And if you're online with me, then we can like discuss, which is the best thing of all. Um, but if you can't make it, then just listen to the recording and do it that way. Um, and so I look forward to seeing you guys uh, on the next call. And just keep clearing your blocks until you uh, finally feel fully worthy of the kind of amazing partner you want. And that's what it'll take to be with that person. All right. See you guys. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.